Welcome to the Sport Mind podcast series, where I sit down with world-leading guests and unlock the secrets to mental strength in sports. Today, before you dive into the episode, I have something special for all listeners. Are you struggling with self-doubt, overwhelmed by performance anxiety, battling inconsistency, or facing fear of failure in your sport? Are you looking to overcome these obstacles and conquer the mental game? Well, I've got just the toolkit for you. An ebook I wrote called Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport, which you can get today completely free of charge. This comprehensive ebook is a treasure trove of practical and actionable strategies tailored for athletes who want to unblock the most common mental obstacles. Each chapter offers digestible advice, providing immediate tools you can apply to enhance your mental game. Readers have been raving about the insights and the transformations they've experienced with this guide. Teresa from California emailed recently saying, Your guide is brilliantly helpful. I've just been getting into it and I'm truly excited to use it to help with the obstacles I face regularly. I wrote this ebook to be concise, punchy, and most importantly, practical for immediate application. And the best part? It's completely free. A token of your commitment to your mental and athletic growth. So click on the link in the show notes right now to grab your copy of Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport or simply visit the SportMind Hub by googling SportMind Hub. Equip yourself today with the knowledge and tools to face those mental challenges head on. Now, let's jump into today's episode and get ready to elevate your mental game to the next level. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to your next installment of the podcast series. I hope you're all doing really well out there. And on today's show, I'm really delighted to have Paralympic sprinter Solomon Barr. Solomon is an incredible guy and his story is well worth hearing and learning from. He left his home country of Guinea as a five-year-old child, largely down to the fact he has a rare condition called retinitis pigmentosa. This is an eye condition that causes a progressive loss of vision. He cannot see out of his right eye and has partial vision in his left eye. We take so many inspiring routes in this chat and he brings things to life with some beautiful, thoughtful and amazing analogies to really paint the picture of what he is trying to get across. I was sitting here getting goosebumps many times over and I'm so thankful we have had this chat today and that you're now listening to it. We talk about how at a young age, with the initial talent he showed as a sprinter, how it became a little too serious too early with the coaches and the environment he was in. We discuss how to get the best balance between this attitude and the mentality in modern sport because there's definitely a balance to try and strike. But he talks about his difficulties in that journey and some of the suggestions that we both have along the way. We talk about his journey through the True Athlete Project and how this was a savior for him as a 19-year-old. We also discuss some more specific tools for athletes such as nerves and anxiety, failure, what success actually is, habits to create high performance, reframing, plus many other deep and interesting topics. I've come away left feeling so inspired from his words and the way he looks at life. With all the difficulties and struggles he has had in his life, he could easily have been the victim and had the why me mentality and the why me story in his head. But you know what? He tells us how he's able to use the struggles in his life as an advantage and how to then have a platform to get his message across and inspire others. I'm sure you'll be inspired by the conversation today. So please sit back and enjoy and welcome Solomon Barr. 
Solomon Barr, welcome to the next episode of the podcast series. I'm super chuffed to have you here today, man. And we've been we've been going back and forwards a little bit. Um, so yeah, welcome to the show, and it's going to hopefully be a really fun chat. Um, but I think a good place to start would be for you to give me a brief introduction to yourself, maybe a bit of your background as an Olympian, as well as the current work you're doing now. Yes, absolutely. So um, my background starts back in Africa, where I was born. Um, is a country called Guinea in the west of Africa. Um, it's pretty impoverished, has a lot of you know political um, issues, uh, welfare issues. And for me, I was born with a disability um, called retinitis pigmentosa. And I was having a lot of issues quite young, like, you know, I was bumping into things, you know, I wasn't able to receive the education system um, readily. I remember my first vivid memory of going into school for the first day and sitting down and looking at the board and not being able to see the board clearly because it was very, you know, fuzzy. It was very far away. They were using blackboards, you know, back in those days. Sure. And I put my hand up and I told the teacher, you know, I can't see the board. I don't know what's wrong. You know, my vision's very uh, blurry. And instead of doing something about it, my teacher said, you know, you're disrupting the classroom, you're oh, being man. very rude, get out and go home. And for me, that was a hard hitting moment and a very vivid memory because firstly, it taught me the lesson that, you know, the help I have in the UK you know, since I moved, isn't the help that's readily available to everybody around mm. in the world, especially my own country. They didn't understand disability. They didn't understand how to help. They didn't have the infrastructure. And so my family made the decision to move over at the age of, uh, my, when I was five, to come to the UK in order to have a better education and a better, you know, standard of living sure. and to get away from all the craziness. And so, you know, came over here and one of the few ways I was able to make friends was through sport you know, playing football, playing basketball, doing races in the playground, you know, mm-hmm. because sport is such a universal thing that we all speak, you know, sport doesn't have a language. Sport is the human connection. It's about playing. It's about interaction. It's about passing and receiving and cooperation and communication, you know, in itself without having to open your mouth. And so that's one thing I found gave me an automatic, you know, ability to create friends. And, you know, through that, realizing my favorite sport was running and, you know, Again, another vivid memory I have is, you know, we have this thing called Sports Day mm-hmm. where every year, you know, you, you get to represent your class or your team, you know, in a specific sport. And I wanted to do the 100 meter sprint and I put my hand up and I, you know, said I would like to do that for my class. And my teacher said, we don't think that's a good idea because you have a visual impairment and that might be a health and safety risk. You might run sure. off track and walk into a wall or whatever. And I said, no, this is really what I want to do. And they said, okay, you can do that, but you you have to do it with a teacher. So as long as you're happy to do that, just to make sure everything's fine. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, no problem at all. And I went ahead and did it. And um, I mean, in short, the story was not only did I win that race, I also broke the school record, which was longstanding, you know, for a long time. And and again, that's a testament to saying, you know, if you believe in something, just keep pushing forward and, you know, there'll be positive um, rewards at the end and that's kind of my entry into athletics and then being picked realizing that you know I was uh, rising up the rankings in uh, local and national competitions I was reached out to by uh, Great Britain uh, Paralympic team and they said because you've got a visual impairment you actually qualify for the Paralympics Mm -hmm. um, and not just you know uh, the, 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 the standard sort of races and um, so I said, yeah. And, and they invited me to go to Brazil to represent Great Britain in the oh, junior Paralympics. Man. And that's where um, I kind of went over there, not expecting anything. I was there for the fun. You know, I, I saw Brazil and I thought, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I thought, you know what, let's just go over and have fun. And yeah. again, that's another sort of milestone in my journey where, 
you know, I went over there and not only, you know, I, again, I, w- I won a gold medal, you know, and I became an international champion, you know, in a blink of an eye. And I've kind of condensed a lot in, in so, sort of a few bullet points, but that's essentially the arc of my journey coming all the way from Africa, you know, politically disturbed country, you know, having a visual impairment um, and, you know, having to integrate into a new society, you know, mm-hmm. and finding sport, sport being my salvation and my almost like, you know, claim to fame essentially brilliant well there's so much i want to um un- unpack with you as we as we go today uh solomon because i think there's going to be some real cool threads um first thing again excuse my ignorance but i know myself and maybe some some listeners might not be um too afraid with this so i believe you've got a degenerative eye condition so it's, it's constantly getting worse and worse um can you just talk us through what it's like competing with the visual impairment and actually knowing it's getting worse and worse um any thoughts on that Yes, absolutely. So um, the visual impairment is called retinitis pigmentosa, or RP for short, and it's inherited. So it means it's passed down by the genes and degenerative means it constantly gets worse over time. Mm -hmm. And essentially, the eye condition is described as tunnel vision. So you only have a central um, point of focus. Mm -hmm. And the way it deteriorates is when I was younger, I had a larger field of view. So it was, you know, shoulder to shoulder. I could see I could play football. Right. But over time and over the years, this sort of tunnel got smaller and smaller mm-hmm. until to the point now where it's almost like a sniper sort of, you know, sort of focus. So it's very, very pinpointed. So mm-hmm. when I'm out and about, I can't see door frames. I can't see lampposts. I can't see people standing right next to me. You know, so it's almost like having to consistent, consistent, consistently re- mm-hmm. refocus and reanalyze my my environment and so in a sense I always say it's all it's almost perfect for the 100 meters because (laughs) I can almost laser focus in the finish line but then I'm not able to gauge my performance on my competitors beside me so it's almost like it's almost taught me the lesson that the only competition is yourself because Mm. the only thing I have to look at is the finish line so I I can only sort of run based on my own feeling and you know intrinsic feedback through my body. Mm, I love that. It's so interesting. I, I use um, uh, an image. It's Michael Phelps coming out the water in, in doing butterfly. And in the next lane next to him, you've got Chad LaClosse, his main rival. Chad LaClosse is coming out the water and he's staring across at Michael. Michael's, you know, classic Michael, super focused, looking down the lane. And I know it's only one split second of a race, but I use that as a bit of a lesson going, are you running your own race? You know, they say comparison is the thief of joy. It's, it's, and, and, you know, that goes for life and sports and everything. And uh, you've said it so wonderfully that actually so often, maybe the athletes get so caught up in in the comparison like what what are my competitors doing am i am i up to their standards what what are what what are people saying about me and, and that's actually a little bit i want to unpack with you a bit later and yeah so, so you put it across really really well there um and just zooming into the um the the the, the journey from guinea okay you're five years old i'm not sure how many memories you have of this um any any thoughts anything that you do remember from that time being taken away from africa and 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 coming to the uk Yes, absolutely. I think it was almost like, I'd call the experience quite psychedelic because I came from one environment and landscape to a completely different one. And it almost felt like I was being taken out from the wilderness into almost a a world of prisons, you know, because back in Guinea, like everything was outdoors, outdoor living, outdoor playing, outdoor education, everything was outdoors. And then when I came over to the UK, everything was all of a sudden indoors you know, we travel in these, you know, uh, buses, which are pretty enclosed. We live in these houses, which are enclosed. We, you know, sit in these schools, which are enclosed. And I always, you know, remember my first sort of week in school in the UK, looking out into the sort of 
the the playground and thinking we could do this under the tree over there like why do we have to sit here and be all square and rigid and that's almost like one of the main comparisons i remember but also like almost like the mindset being um quite logical in the uk i think um in guinea everything's a bit more fluid i think we can go from learning about science to tying it in with maths to talking about birds and drawing birds in like a mathematical sort of theme and then obviously and then when i came over to the uk it was almost like this is the lesson and this is what we're learning and then we'll move on so mm. almost like seeing the separation between the brains going from like a fluid sort of creative uh, right brain perspective to almost like a very logical rigid sort of left brain was it was a difficult transition but i think in the long sort of scheme of things when i look at it it almost allowed me to activate one side of the brain and then over time sort of learn to use the other one. And I think that's what's allowed me to have like a wide perspective in my sporting journey throughout these years. Mm. Oh, I love that. That's so well put. That's brilliant. It's the whole classic case of, you know, the Brazilian footballers and the favelas and, and you know, trying to bring it kind of the, the West meets East sometimes kind of vibe, you know, and also the, the, the you know, stuff like, um, you know, the samurais and all of that, how it kind of comes across and the, the, the feeling and left versus right brain. And yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a, a, um, a balance I'm always trying to strike with the coaching of my players. <laughs> And yes, here's, here's the formal play by the book style, but actually there's some mystical style that we can kind of integrate as well. Um, and, and the, okay, even though it's a hundred meter sprint, you know, you could kind of say, well, it's a very kind of structured format of athletics and, and really straight line in a way. And how did you then think you molded the kind of left and right brain and actually probably even transcended sport, I suppose, as well. And we'll talk about some of your later career at some point, but um, how do you think the kind of left and right brain started to play itself in regard to your, your endeavor, your field? Yes, absolutely. And it's a balance of, I'd say only recently in a few months and years um, recently that I've learned that the middle is the best way forward. Mm. Um, I think when I got into the sport originally through joy and fun and cooperation with those initial years in the playground, it was all about emotions. It was all about ecstasy. It was all about having fun with my friends. And then when my talent was picked up and I started to, you know, perform and gauge and compare and how did last season compare to this season then it became you know structured analytical and broken down and you know and then the, and then the joy got sucked out of it and it became purely mechanical and performance based and that's where I realized there's something I'm doing which I no longer experienced the joy of doing and mm. that was purely mechanical and now now there's no humanity in it anymore and that's when I started to lose the love for it and the record started to disappear and the wind started to disappear because when I was doing, you know, the fun side of it, of it just purely doing it for joy in the playground, I was always winning. I always had this almost like extra you know, red button in me. I could press and this red button button was just happiness. I could press on this happiness button oh, and it almost gave me extra fuel. But then when I transitioned into it being sort of like a profession, you know, there, there was no longer like there, there was no longer an emotional button I could press. It was purely looking at, you know, form and technique and, you know, looking at it through the lens of the eye and, you know, the geometry and all these things. And then it became mm-hmm. very, there was no soul in it anymore. And that's where I fell out of love with my sport. 
And it's only recently where I realized you have to marry the two. You have to bring the two together. That feeling you had when you first did your sports in the playground or, you know, in your case, in the in the court, what that, that initial feeling that brought you into the sport or the initial ecstasy you felt when you started doing the sport, how can you then marry it with the, you know, profession of it? And how can you blend the two? Because then you've got joy and you've got the performance, you know, and then you that's where you have the soul in the sport. And that's what I've sort of personally realise I have to have the two or if one becomes purely a hobby and the other one becomes purely an, 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 an analysis process and the two have to be working together to see results. Wow, such such beautiful words, really well said, and and very much along the lines, and that's why we're connecting today of of the way like I'm trying to wrestle with these concepts. That yes, the top athletes really want to win. Okay, winning's on the table, right? We got to agree that that they want to be the best. But when we get into the win at all costs mentality, that becomes a really dark place. And I think we want to unpack that in a bit. But just before we get to that, but um, what kind of age was that happening to you? The transition from you know the the, the joy into like the professional mindset, and and maybe a a follow-on question is, you know, it didn't, didn't sound like you maybe had the support base or I'm, I'm, I assume the coaches were doing everything for the right intent, but maybe they were more results focused rather than look at the holistic person, I, you know, kind of, kind of a broad question there, but what do you think of that? Yes. Um, I can take you straight to the moment this happened. Um, so winning, you know, the school races and breaking the school records, um, and then, you know, being picked up by my local club and saying, you should come and join us and train. You know, you've got a lot of talent, but, you know, as a classic saying goes, skill beats talent. So you need to be skillful. So come and hone your craft. So going over there and, you know, seeing the other young people training, I'd say at the age of 12 or 13, just as I went into secondary school um, and, you know, seeing all the other young people and thinking this was also going to be an exercise of joy. And as I, you know, as everyone was doing their warm up on the first day, you know, I was looking around and I was cracking jokes and I was smiling. And then the coach looked over and said, we don't smile here. Wow. This isn't a joke. Wow. You know, this is serious. This is, if you want to win, you know, you need to wipe that smile off your face and you need to get serious. <laughs> and that's, that's the moment, you know, where, I'd say a lot of things began, you know, then, then your parents start to say to you, you know, when you're in school, it's serious now. You can't be, you know, having fun all the time. You've got to knuckle down and focus on your exams. And then all of a sudden, this world that went from being happy, joyful, you know, with my friends became a serious world where it's about results in the classroom and results on the, you know, athletics track. And that, I guess, took me into quite a dark place where it was quite emotionless it was very soulless and I kind of yearned for this emotion but at the same time the world only cared about results so I need to sort of put myself outside of this and only have my body and the instructions I've been given mm-hmm. to almost work you know and that's that's kind of like I call it the dark side you know of my journey <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's kind of started yeah no, totally, and, and I've again been investigating that topic really a lot recently. Is 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 yeah that that okay? How we can use failure to to progress? How we can fail forward? But actually, as a 12, 13, 14 year old, if you're not getting the right influences, you don't have the prefrontal cortex developed yet. You you can't you don't have that filter, do you? you? Don't you can't really see it. You trust in the coaches, you trust in what they're saying, and I can imagine you went and going, oh yeah, this is this is the main coach now. I've got to I've got to buy into him. I've got to listen to him, but. And it might have been well intended. Maybe it wasn't well intended, but it, it, obviously, suddenly it's just it's just killing that joy, that enthusiasm. 
And um, I think that leads us very, very nicely into the, I suppose, why we're talking today. We, we were introduced through a mutual friend, uh, Lawrence Halstead from the True Athlete Project. I was lucky enough to chat to him a couple of months ago. Um, and I don't know what, what age you can talk us through the timeline, but can you talk us through, you know, the True Athlete Project and your experiences in this organization? Yeah. And I'd say that was my, you know, moment of salvation because a lot of the traditional bodies in the sport, um, in the English sort of sports world at that time was, um, was almost that old school, you know, greet your teeth, you know, fight through the pain, you know, leave the BS at home and, you know, you're here to perform for the team sort of minds. It was almost still rooted in that old school mind frame. And I think it's only now through in, in organisations and initiatives like the Traffic Project where we're actually seeing, no, it's not just one way. It can be both ways at the same time. And that's what, you know, saved me, you know, getting to that age of 15, 16, 17 and f- almost falling out of love with the sport. Um, and then, you know, having that initial contact with um, Sam, who I think, was one of the initial founders of Strathlet Project. And they said, you know, we have a philosophy where, you know, it's about being a human, you know, while you're doing the sport. It's about having a cause while doing the sport. It's about being in love with your sport, you know, while doing the sport. It's not just about doing the sport. And going through their sort of initiation process and their syllabus and their sort of, you know, mental framework and training um, was what brought me out back into the light and actually allowed me to realise um realized you know my potential and then you know doing a few months with them and getting chosen for a squad position in Dubai to represent England again was almost like oh there's proof here because now I'm at I am getting results again and so and and also looking at it as a a way of expressing your humanity Mm -hmm. whether it's a political you know you know a political stance you want to make or a in my in my case, talking about disabilities in society, it allowed me to make my disability not just flourish through my sport, but in my society. You know, and they gave me the confidence to become a public speaker and go visit schools and inspire young people to get into the sport, or even just for mental health or physical health benefits. So it really gave me a framework to almost package what I am and you know what I've learned over the years. You know, the mm. sport finding a love for the sport, the disability, to learning how to talk about the disability in a positive way and just allowing my work to be an inspiration instead of just uh, a pursuit to achieve. Yeah, brilliant. And yeah, I've got, got a lot of time for those guys and I wish I'd kind of met them a little bit earlier in, in my sporting career because yeah, very similar dark phases. Um, yeah, I was kind of was national champion at one point and then the expectations were just crazy. It was like I literally thought one of my biggest memories was when I won my first big international title for the next two weeks, I was bedridden. I was throwing up. I had hives. And I think it was all the manifestation of two years worth of, I have to win something big. And it was like, my body just shut down. It was like, okay, I've, I've got that thing. And it's like, actually my reaction was such a weird physical reaction. It wasn't like one of, obviously I was joy, like happy. I won the thing, but actually my body just completely went the other way. Um, I just found that really interesting at that point in my career. I can't quite pinpoint it, but I definitely think it, it was the expectation. And, and like you said, meeting Sam and then obviously Lawrence at the true athlete project really helped. And with that, um, Solomon, how, how did this then fold into your, I suppose your non-sporting life. So, you know, you've met these amazing guys and, and, you know, I'm curious, how long were you with them? How long did, did they kind of mentor and help you? Was it a short-term thing, medium-term thing? How did that go? And then how did this transition maybe into your non-sporting life? Yeah, absolutely. So it was a mentorship program, which lasted a year and Lawrence was my mentor. 
And it was great because I was a young athlete trying to make it in the sport. And, you know, you almost get like an elder who's a, you know, achieved individual in their sport and sort of like um, the psychological and physical and lifestyle sort of hacks they've implemented to help them succeed, almost feeding it back to you. So Mm -hmm. that was the relationship and that lasted a year. But I'd say, you know, how solidified it was ingrained in me and how, you know, deep the relationship was, it almost has become a lifetime um, friendship with the two. And since then, as I say, I've started public speaking so I can inspire young people. And um, I've taken it into the business world. And I was actually, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a TV show called The Apprentice. Which I was, like big... was going to ask. I was going to ask about it. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, please. Yeah, please which, share. which is, yeah, which is like a big time um, uh, business show um, here in the UK and America. And I was the first ever disabled candidate on the show because what I realized was you don't, you as a human and your cause doesn't just have to be bottled in one domain so in 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 that mo- in in the time up, up until then I was only sort of focusing everything in sport and I realized there are other areas in society where justice and fairness and equality need to be exercised and one of those places was sport because another issue I had which I think a lot of young athletes have is sponsorship I want to improve in the sport but I don't have any money to allow me to improve I don't have any fuel to push this car forward and looking around and seeing you get a hundred pounds here a few grants there but it's not enough to create a team around you you know physiotherapists psychologists nutrition these people cost money and if I want to be at the top of my league I need the fuel to push me there and I thought okay if I can't get the money because I'm not Mr you know top dog big medals Nike sponsorships Mm -hmm. I'm gonna have to find the money so entrepreneurship and enterprise was my way in. So I thought, let me take my skill of public speaking and make it a business. And then through that, I realized, oh, there's a lot of injustice. and There's a lot of prejudice in this area as well. It's not just sport and disabilities, it's business and disabilities. I mean, when you think of some of the you know icons and role models of the business world, you never think of somebody with a disability because that image hasn't been imprinted in society yet. And so I thought, okay, if it doesn't exist, let me at least start a conversation. And so I applied for the TV show and I did, you know, I think 70,000 candidates were sort of initially... Um, what was the initial application number and I was down to the final 16 wow and again a lot of the skills that allowed me to get onto the show in the first place were the skills of determination resilience purpose drive that I learned from the sport so again a lot of things started to enter sort of a lot of things started to make sense like oh sport isn't just a means to achieve it's a means to develop myself and these skills I've learned I can now use as fuel for other things such as this thing which can then, you know, be a cause and, and, and inspire other people. So that that's kind of like my trajectory now. So I'm almost in the same way I've balanced the left brain and the right brain to allow me to enjoy my sport. I've almost used my sport, sporting habits and talents to sort of utilize in business to help me push forward there as well. Mm. Oh, incredible. Yeah, to obviously make it that far in, onto their apprentices is, is something phenomenal. And yeah, I did, did uh, quite a bit of research on you before we jumped on and it looked amazing, man. It looked really good. And I, I suppose my my kind of follow on or, or addition to this, this thread that we're on at the moment that, you know, you've had to overcome huge and significant adversities in your life. You know, you've told us parts of your story so far. Um, but what I'm curious is, is how have you been able to cultivate the mindset that life is happening for you rather than to you. I, I think I think people with a certain mindset, they they see adversities as going, actually, this is happening for me. It's happening for the future, me in a way. And I, I really love that mindset. Um, you've already explored bits of it, but but anything else come to mind there about how you've cultivated that mindset? Yes, I love this question. Um, and I thought this was going to you know, help me answer it in a powerful way. 
Um, back to my disability. Initially, I saw it as something very, very, very negative. You know, I was told one day in the not too distant future, you will go completely blind. You know, whether you're 30, whether you're 40, whether you're 50, it's slow and it's going to be, you know, drip, drip, drip like a tap. But the lights will go out. And imagine telling that to a seven-year-old kid. Everything you see now, you know, the yellow flowers, the red roses, the TV, your mother's face, it will go. Hmm. And that kind of traumatic hit at such a young age was where I thought life was happening to me. Like, why is this happening? Why me? You know, why all these injustices? Why do I have to struggle to read a book? Why can I just not walk into a restaurant and open a menu and be able to know what it says? Why can't I recognize my best friend's face across the road? Like, why can't I read the bus number that's approaching me and I have to get into the bus and ask the bus driver, what bus is this? Mm. You know, why can't I walk into a shop and pick up my favorite packet of crisps and just say, yep, there it is, that's my favorite all these simplicities in life that other people take for granted for me is a challenge, you know, in itself every single day. And so having that initial mindset and then looking at, looking back at my story from where I am now and processing it and going, am I a victim or was this my golden ticket? Because when I think back to where I've come from, Guinea, like, and I've been back there five years ago and the blind people I see, are the people begging on the side of the streets, mm. the people that are homeless, the people that have no education, the people that whose families ostracize them because they're a, a weak part of the chain, so they can't be a provider. So they have to almost, you know, be ostracized. Seeing if if I hadn't had my disability, you know, in the UK, if I hadn't had that golden ticket to come over here, mm. if I hadn't had the ability to do the Paralympics, if I hadn't had a powerful story to be a both situational speaker, I wouldn't have had any of these opportunities, any of, any of these chances. And actually the biggest uh, source of my suffering has been how I identify with my disability, not the disability itself. Because if I actually look at a disability, it's been my golden ticket, but it's how I've been telling my story to myself over the years that my disability is negative and it's got in my way. How has my disability got in my way? If anything, it's opened the doors for me over the mm. years. It's how I've associated with the story that's changed my mindset and realized it's been my golden ticket. It's not being my barrier to success. Absolutely brilliant. Really, really well said. And I, I can imagine along the way, uh, I, I'm investigating and really big on the inner voice and the stories we tell ourselves. I can imagine you had some some very negative moments, some 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 spiraling moments with that inner voice and 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 that that difficulty. Um you know, if you can reflect back, how were you able to reframe that inner voice? How were you able, was, was it with a support network? Was it, did it come from internally a little bit? You know, so, so when that spiraling happens, what's, what's the, the, the Solomon doing? Maybe not the Solomon right now, because it sounds like you, you, you got to a good position right now, but maybe the one that's not quite developed yet. Any thoughts on that? Absolutely. Um, I'll try and relate it as best as I can to your game. You're facing a wall, aren't you? Through mm-hmm. the, through the game. Yep. And I think we look at the wall and we think, why are you in my way? You know, there's this wall we call the inner chatter or the inner voice or the ego, whatever you want to call it. The voices that you wake up with and then they hit you and you go, ah, here we go again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm a failure. I'm a non-achiever. I didn't hit my mark. My mum's this, my dad's that, my girlfriend's this. You know, the world is spiralling down. World War III is around the corner. There's the wall of 
obtrusive, very loud, very real, very concrete voices that just don't go away. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned is to realize that there's a world behind me and I've just been staring at the wall the whole time. And so all I've had to do is turn around and realize that my family has been cheering me on the whole time I've been playing the game. And all I've been doing is staring at the wall. And you can stare at the wall and try and um, negotiate with it. You know, you can stare at the wall and try and justify it. You can stare at the wall and say, is it green or is it blue? Is it red or is it yellow? Or you can turn around and actually wave back at your family and say, you know, I'm having fun. And that wall is something I've, you know, been battling my whole life. As I say, I've always had this, I wouldn't call it mental health, but this chatter of saying, why did this have have to happen to me? Or I could turn around and ignore the wall and just look at the beauties of life and look at the opportunities I've actually been given and look at the truth of it all and reframe it and re reanalyze it from another perspective and, and, and look at it from a pot. I think positivity and a positive mindset mm-hmm. is the only thing that will help you win. You know, you have to reframe your stories in a positive way or else you'll always be a victim to them. 100%. Really, really well said. And I'm not sure if you've come across, um, it's quite old now, but Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, one of my favorite books, really thin book, um, Jewish um, psychologist thrown into the concentration camps in World War II. And one of the main things he wrote about that book when he survived the, the Holocaust and, and all the horrors and he lost all his family and everyone he knew he lost. He said, between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space, we have the ability to make a choice. And, you know, I just love that. I think that if we like with reframing, with facing that war, really great analogy that, you know what, we might not initially like the choice, but we always tend to be able to have a choice. And actually the choice you're saying is actually turn around. There's a whole world behind you. And you know what, sometimes we get so embedded in the stimulus of the wall, the response of looking at the wall, and we don't separate those two things out and we don't find that space where we can make a choice. Um, So no, I I think I really like your, that analogy there is really powerful. And I I can tell you probably said that to a few people the past that is brilliant man so i'm glad i'm <laughs> glad i'm capturing parts of this today this is phenomenal um so i know you're, you're you're very big on connection as well as community responsibility and, and just before we started talking you, you said a few little cool things here so can you share your passion with us on 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 that topic or, or something around those topics because i know that's a real big part of you and your life isn't it Yes, absolutely. Do you mean individual commitments or just the way I look at them? Yeah, I just, I, I don't, it's, I can't quite remember what you said before we started recording. I was explaining what I'm trying to do with, with, with Sport Mind, and you said, oh, it looks like um, you're, you're trying to form connections. Um, can you remember what you said at the start? Oh, absolutely. Um, in, interconnection and harmony. That's it. That's um, it. Yes. And it's almost like um, the conversation, the, you know, the inventor has with the artist you know the the inventor is trying to get into nuts and bolts and things and the artist is trying to make it look beautiful and if you just leave it to one person the job will never get done and in the same way the way you're having these conversations with different people you know is the way you will be able to create harmony like I'm a sprinter you know and I talk about tunnel vision and focus and determination you may talk to a swimmer you know he'll tell you about you know being resilient and being ruthless and just keep stroking and get to the end. And, you know, like you might talk to a marathon runner who will say, you know, just get on with it, forget the mind, just focus on the road ahead. And everybody's going to tell you something and give you a nugget of truth or, you know, allow you to assemble the the jigsaw puzzle. 
And that's what it's about, being interconnected and being harmonious. And I guess that's how I try to look at my work as well, you know, doing different things in society, but still integrating the same philosophies and mindsets and, you know, uh, the bigger picture, I think is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. You're creating the bigger picture for athletes, you know, like yourself in the same sport or other athletes, you know, that may come and, you know, benefit from this and, you know, take some truth away from it. And I think that's what I really, really love about what you're doing. And, you know, I hope I can give a nugget of truth to one person and it will inspire them to give a nugget to another person. And I think what you're doing is very, very, very powerful. And I think a lot more people need to listen in and download and whatever else. (laughs) Thank you. I'll I'll, I'll send you five pounds for that in the post. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, it is. It's so true. It's kind of like, you know what? I'm not the first person to say this. You're probably not the first person to say the things that you're saying, but actually if we can do it with our interpretation, with our passion, with the, the connections we have and spread that message that, that I think both of us and, and triathlete project and lots of other good people, Kath Bishop all feel a big part of that message. It's only going to be a healthy thing. And actually maybe we can, you know, even by the smallest degree, the, the, you know, the, the butterfly effect, you know, we can, we can just nudge the needle a little bit in the positive direction, um, by these type of conversations, by that connectedness, by that harmony. I love that word harmony because yeah, sometimes sports, um, doesn't bring that. And, and a few of the kind of the high achieving athletes I work with, the very first few lessons we do is all about, you said it before. Okay. Why, why are you playing the sport? Like, okay. What, what, what is your child's mind? What, what, why did you get into it originally can you can you even visualize that child's mind that first run in the playground that first squash ball you hit the first rugby ball you kicked and it's like okay let's drill into that and has everything gone extrinsic everything's gone to title status reward success and how much of your life is intrinsic? How much are you trying to master this, the, the craft rather than becoming so, uh, you know, obsessed with, with the titles and status? So, um, yeah, I think we're, we're kind of speaking from the same hymn sheet here, aren't we? Amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> but the truth is always, is always going to be the truth. <laughs> you know, exactly. there's only one truth. Yeah. Yeah. And w- what's that then, do you think? Be happy in, amidst the pain of life. <laughs> okay, good. I'll put you on the spot there big time, man. I was testing, yeah. testing out your, your synapses up there. <laughs> but no, like, again, it's like, I don't know if you've seen um, Carl Sagan, The Little Blue Dot. It's a, it's a short YouTube video. Have you, have you come across that yet? Yes, I have. Yes. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? Like, just like kind of we're living on this. I, I, I like to kind of think of us as like this, this speck of dirt just hurtling around the universe. And actually, we need to zoom out. We need to go. We're living on this amazing planet, like brilliant. But actually, when you take the helicopter view and you zoom out, it's going, what do you think is really important? Come on, like, let's, yeah, let's, let, let's be serious. Actually, when we really zoom out, you know, it gives you a bit of perspective. Um, yeah. So listen, Solomon, I'm keen to maybe drill in with your view and maybe some advice um, for, 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 for maybe athletes, getting quite specific with athletes. Let, let's maybe look at a couple of tools, if that's okay with you, um, where they may be struggling with different topics in regard to their mindset and their view of the world. Um, so maybe to kick this little section off is how would you help an athlete that is putting in the work, they train in the right way, but they're not transferring into their performances when it really counts. Um, and they're doing everything in the right way, but the actual performances aren't there. Any, any thoughts on that? The first thing I would say that really helped me is learn to get out of your head and put everything on paper, in a calendar, as a routine or as a physical manifestation. Mm-hmm. Because when you live in your head as an athlete, that's where you'll always ever live. You know, you'll, 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 you'll want to do better. You'll imagine yourself being better. But unless you physicalize these ideas, it will never be the case. And for me, it went from being 
turning up to training once a week or maybe twice a week or maybe three times a week, but not having it as a consistent structured routine and actually saying, you know what, if I want to improve, I need to solidify my training regime. I need to have a calendar and a location and a time and, you know, how many times am I doing this a week? How many times am I going to the gym? What does my program look like? How will I improve with my weight? You know, am I going from 100 uh, kg squats to 120 kg squats in the space of three months? How can we put this on paper? If it's not some paper, you can't see it. And you can't see if you can't see it, you don't have a vision for the future. So you need to be able to put this on paper. And then after that, use other people. You know, if you feel like you're struggling internally, there are things called sports psychologists. If there are things that you're struggling with nutrition wise, there are things called sports nutritionists. These establishments already exist. And what do you need help with? So externalize as much as you can. You want to get to a place where you don't have to think about it. You don't have to think about where you need to be. You don't have to think about who you're talking to. You don't have to think about what you need to do because it's already been externalized and it's already been automated, you know. So get to a place where you're an empty vessel when you're training because you're not having to think about anything. And in that space of emptiness is where magic can happen. And that's what I've learned, you know, be empty when you practice. As In the same way when they say you, when you meditate, you're empty. When you're training, you know, make sure you're in a state of meditation where you're empty. And that's where you see the little things that you never picked up on because your mind isn't preoccupied with what you're going to have for dinner because it's already in a, you know, a meal plan. It's already, mm-hmm. you've already got a, a regime in place where your food gets ordered to you, you know, twice a week from a meal prep company or your mum knows what you want to eat. So it's already in the fridge. Externalize everything. Get out of your mind. Your mind will only try and limit you because it's already got what it needs to survive. Mm. You know, that's, that's the function of the mind, that caveman mentality. Once I've got that piece of meat, I no longer need to strive. But as long as you've got that mentality in your head, you'll only be restricted. Get out of your mind, you know, and get into your body where things need done because you've externalized your mind. So that's, that's my first and probably most powerful thing I've learned. Mm. Yeah. Solid. Love it. And um, it reminds me of, of a couple of things. Um, there's a, there's a guy called Greg McHugh and he wrote a book called essentialism, really cool book. And he says, what's the one decision you can make now that saves a a thousand future decisions. So what's the one good decision you make? And I kind of, I'm hearing you say that it's like, right. Rather than being a bit vague with those decisions and kind of make it up as you go along when you're training, when you're competing, it's actually, what's the one good decision now that saves future decisions. I like that. And then the second thing you said, which I just want to pick up on, um, you have an, a very, you've got an amazing quote that I've come across, which is I'll read it word for word. So the less sight I have, the more imagination I gain, because what you see is what you see and what you don't see is when the magic begins. I almost heard you say that the idea that, you know, there, there's maybe a little bit of that quiet mind. And I'm, I'm, that's a very cool quote, by the way. Um, so this type of thinking, where, where did this spawn from that, that idea about, you know, where the magic begins? Yeah. I mean, it's almost like from my own experience of not being able to see the world fully because of my restricted eyesight and realizing there's an, I guess, internal mind that sees beyond um, your imagination. And I think being able to imagine yourself in a different place to where you see yourself now um, is what I learned and what helped me to get to that, you know, champion status. If you don't see yourself as a champion, you can never be a champion. You know, if you only see yourself as, you know, the kid that turns up to training every week and hopefully wins a competition but doesn't know, that's the only story you're telling yourself. 
you have to be able to see beyond what you see. You know, do I see myself on that podium? Do I believe, you know, I will be on that podium? Can I visualize it? Can I hold it in a frame? You know, can I, can I go back to it every morning when I wake up? Can I see it every night before I go to sleep? Encapsulate an image and an emotion along with that image that allows you to see the finish line. You know, mm-hmm. and that's what I guess the, the the essence of me saying what you don't see, that's where the magic is, because you don't see it here in the physical world, but you see it internally, you see it in your mind. And with that image, you know it's possible because you've crafted it in your imagination. And if you can see it in your imagination, best believe it's going to be, you know, in, in the real world. In the same way, when you look around you and you see an iPhone, an iPhone doesn't just come out of nowhere. That's Steve Jobs' imagination that he brought into reality. So your iPhone, your gold medal, you know, status, your podium position, that's in your mind. But you need to be able to go there and see it and believe it and, you know, and, 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 and then externalize it through the daily practices and, you know, working and fine tuning and honing your craft. And that's the process. But the initial stage is to see beyond what you see. Totally, totally, really powerful stuff. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it on its head for a second because I'm I'm ex- I'm curious to explore that other side of things where you talked about balance. Um, so I, I mentioned this a few times this this win at all costs mentality that sport being, brings, and especially from like a really young age now, isn't it? And you experienced it. You know, you experienced it right away with that coach. You don't smile here, people. We're here for business. This is a serious endeavor. I'm like, come on, man. You're like a 12 year old. Like, let's let's get a grip here. Anyway, um, how do you think you can then get that calibration of the balance of the win at all costs. So love the idea of the visualization, see yourself on the podium, you know, you, you're living it, you're breathing it, but how do we, how do we get that balance right? Do you think? I was going for like um, a thought process the other day and I was thinking about how trees grow in nature and we have sort of the, the idea that it's the strongest tree that wins because it reaches into the sunlight and it gets all the nutrition and then it creates a shade so the little trees around it don't get enough of that water, enough of that nutrition, enough of that sunlight to grow. And so they diminish, dwindle and die. And the only one that, you know, rises up is the big, strong tree. And I thought about this and I said, is that is that life? Is that competition? Is that win at all costs? Do I dominate and create shade? So I'm the only big, strong, standing tree, you know, in this environment and no other trees get to grow. And that's where I need to be. And if I'm that little tree, I'm nobody. Then I thought about what's the biggest thing we have in the world? It's the Amazon rainforest. And every single tree is a big tree. And the mentality those trees have isn't to just grow. It's to have everything in place. It's to make sure I have enough water, make sure I have enough nutrition from the soil, you know, make sure I'm cooperating, make sure like I'm working with the other trees so we can all grow together and be big and strong. It's cooperation. It's not competition. You know, when you look at the most successful athletes, they don't just think win, win, win. They think, how can I cooperate with the ones around me to allow me to help me to win? Because we all need to win. You know, your physiotherapist has a mortgage to pay. You know, your nutritionist wants to write an inspirational book with examples of a success story which hopefully is you so it's cooperating with those around you and you becoming the final result you are the tree at the end of it you're not bashing everyone out of your way so you could be number one but you're cooperating with the people around you so you can rise up effortlessly you know if you only focus on winning if you only focus on that number one spot that's all you focus on and you're not feeding off anything else 
But if you actually have a wider perspective and a wider view of the world around you, and you actually notice the people around you, and you actually notice, you know, what's what your competitors actually, you know, telling you, everybody's giving you wisdom. Everybody's giving you something you can use. So be cooperative and work with what's around you. Don't just focus on winning and competition because you will not see what actually is around you that's going to help you win. Mm. Powerfully said, man. Hey, listen, I hope you're going to be planning to write a book soon because all these stories and analogies are phenomenal, man. They need to go in there because you're taking me on such a journey mentally, which is which is great. And um, have you read The Overstory out of interest? Um, a book I've read about six months ago is called The Overstory. Have you come across it? I've heard about it, but I haven't had the time to read it. Yeah, it's it's you. The the, the it sound doesn't sound that glamorous. You will never look at a tree the same way again. It's it. It sounds really weird. It's all about trees, but it's it's fiction. But it's all interwoven with actually like how incredible trees are, how they work with the environment, how they take oxygen like things out the air and they create the the, the bark and the kind of the, the and you're going they've converted this molecule into something that is like that then there's wood and we we need wood and anyway i won't go too deep into it but if you like the tree well i love that tree analogy the overstory is powerful man it is nothing to do with sports but it's how we look at the life and 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 how each tree is so interconnected with what we do so uh yeah little uh, little side note recommendation there and um you also said something else which i love the cooperation uh, a lot of that comes from timothy galway the inner game of tennis i don't know if you've come across written in the 70s but he says see your competitor over the net not as a competitor but as a collaborator you know, the better they play, the better I'm going to play because they're going to bring the best out of me. I, I think that's a really cool way to balance it out as well, isn't it? So, um, yeah, awesome. Awesome, Sullivan. Loving it. Um, so maybe on a similar topic, nerves and anxiety, huge, huge topic in sport, um, comes up all the time. Um, how did you handle nerves and anxiety or how would you give advice to handle nerves and anxiety? Absolutely. And this is the only one where I can't waffle my way out of. <laughs> this doesn't... <laughs> This doesn't have a, you know, dramatic, fictional... Oh, come on. You you set us us up. No, I mean, this is is something I have to tell you. So usually when I give answers, I give them in analogies. But in this case, there is no analogy. There is only what I I actually do on a day-to-day. Sure. So I'm I'm religious about this. I don't drink caffeine because caffeine activates my chatter brain. Mm -hmm. And we think caffeine is like this energy booster it gives you something, but it doesn't, it turns up the volume in your brain so you can use that volume to put into things. Mm. But if your baseline, if your soil isn't fertile and you turn up the volume, you've just got more junk to use. Mm. So if your mind, you feel like doesn't actually have, if you've got a lot of embedded trauma, a lot of you know childhood negative chatter and you turn up the volume, that's all you're going to get more of. So I don't drink caffeine. I stay away from it. So I can actually bring bring through more, you know, powerful, you know, bigger minded perspectives instead of just my own internal monkey. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, I make sure I meditate at least 20 minutes every single day because my nervous system is wired as a sprinter where it's go, go, go. But if I don't ground myself, everything is go, go, go in my life. So, you know, when I'm training in the 100 meters, I can let it go. But when I'm at home, I need to learn to bring it back and center and ground myself. So 20 minutes a day. I do breathing exercises, you know, so I do deep belly breathing. You know, I do three seconds in, five seconds out, only in the nose, you know, not in the mouth. 
And I make sure I don't eat until after 2.30 p.m. because I don't want to activate my digestive system, which then activates all of. So I I, I, I like to keep myself in a peaceful place of mind first half of the day. That's why my training regimes, I only make sure I train second half where I'll let my crazy side come out. Because that first half of the day, I want to make sure I'm still and I'm calm. So those are the things where I don't have a dramatic story to tell you. These are things I just don't even BS around. You know, yeah. these are the things I put in place because that if I've got a nervous, if I've got a calm mind, I've got a calm nervous system, I can now think through the hurdles and leap over them to perform. But if I've got all these things, you know, I've got my mind running crazy, then I add caffeine into the mix and the <laughs> fire is huge. And now every problem looks like a huge problem. And now I can't even turn up to training now I've got a problem on my hands. So that's, you know, when it comes to nerves, anxiety, you know, I make sure I meditate regularly. I do breathing exercises, you know, after a session, I'll have a cold shower I make sure I have all my meals in place, you know, and, and, and taking the chatter out of my brain and externalizing it. So I'm only doing, I'm not thinking, I'm just doing. Mm. Love that. I was, I was actually going to try to dig into some of your habits, but you've already kind of said a few really good ones there. And yeah, I, I do love like, again, a very similar meditate breathing. Um, my cold showers have been a bit off of late. I need to get back on them in the mornings. Um, but, it's, it's, uh, but you do cold showers in the mornings, evenings, or just after your training? Um, in the evenings before bed, after my, uh, after my training sessions, um, I, I find that they relax me. Um, hot showers get me going and then okay. cold showers relaxing me that's just my personal yeah so. see I, I i was toggling i was doing cold showers morning and evening but i i i like my morning ones but my evening ones were making me too active for bed so it was just i just had to recalibrate and because i stopped doing my evening ones i then stopped doing my morning ones which is dumb so I, <laughs> <laughs> and you've inspired me you've inspired me solomon i'm back at it i'm back at it tomorrow morning um no really cool um okay so a huge topic as well fear of failure fear of letting yourself and others down fear of being embarrassed, fear of what others may think. How do you go about trying to handle these types of fears? You might've already said your inner chatter, your monkey mind, um, fear. Like, again, we could probably spend a whole podcast talking just on this subject, but any, any thoughts or tips on, on the concept of fear? Yeah. And this is another, this is another beast that I've wrestled mm. with because it's one of those things is fear. Uh, sorry. It's fear and failure. Something you define, or is it a real thing in the world? And unfortunately, in sport, it's 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 something you have to accept. You know, you can be at the back of the marathon race. You can be at the back of the 100-meter sprint. So failure is a real thing. It's not like something you can talk through in, you know, art or business and say, oh, we didn't fail technically. No, sport, it's black and white. You win or you lose. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's the nature of the beast. And for me, it's having enough wins in my day. So if I do fail in sport, it's just a... It's, it's less of a blow. So if I win by doing my meditations, if I win by reading my book, if I win by, you know, getting another client for public speaking, if I win in all these areas, if I come second or third in the race, yes, I should have done better, but there are things that have been taken care of. So this isn't the only result in my day. Mm. Maximize, have more results in your day and make sure most of those results are positive. So when you do get a negative, it's almost like a thing where they say someone can have someone can have 99 positive comments on a YouTube video they upload. But when that hundredth comment is negative, that's going to stick. Exactly. You know? mm. So it's, it's, it's almost like have 
the 99 comments, have the 99 wins in your back pocket. So when that one does come, it doesn't, it doesn't sting as much. And then you can have, you know, loads more wins. So that's, mm. that's how I kind of try and tackle the nature of the beast. But then also realize failure is a blessing because it's an indicator that you're getting closer. You know, when you're failing, it means you haven't reached the summit of the mountain yet. You're still climbing. You know, when you're getting closer and closer, when you get higher, when you get higher and higher on Mount Everest, it gets harder and harder. So when you're failing, it means you're not getting the results and it's getting difficult, but you're climbing. And as long as you keep climbing, you will get to the top. You know, it's the ones that give up and try to go back that get frostbite and die. (laughs) You know, you're climbing Mount Everest and it's supposed to be difficult and you're supposed to be feeling challenged and your mind is supposed to tell you to give up because that's just, you know what I mean? That's that, that's it. But it's the guys that keep pushing ahead and get to the peak that will succeed and get that moment of glory. And then the rush of endorphin and the rush of adrenaline that you get from achieving it is mm. then going to allow you to come down the mountain again because nothing can t- touch you now. <laughs> but you're the guy. You know, whereas it. if you give up before you even get there, you're going to be coming down with misery. And now your your, your immune system is going to attack you and you're going to feel like a failure and then you just, you know, you're going to die. So mm. push forward and realize failure is an indicator that you're getting closer to the top. Love that. Just almost want to just pause there for a sec. Failure is an indicator that you're almost getting to the top. That is, that is, that is, that's going to sell t-shirts, man. That is like, that's good. That's, I've not heard, I've heard lots of different quotes of failure. I've not heard that one, but that, that's powerful, man. Really well done. Um, there's, there's a, there's a load of threads there. Um, the brain is like Teflon for positivity and like Velcro for negativity. It's, it's literally the exact thing that those 99 comments, that one random stranger who said something that just they just a keyboard warrior. And you know what? That sticks. That's the negativity, the Velcro. But then for me personally, I don't know about, about you, Solomon. Um, the way I personally try to combat that, I've heard you talk about cultivate the small wins, which is, a, again, a big topic that I like to talk about. But we've not touched on gratitude. I think gratitude is, is a really interesting thing because you now, you're, 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 you're kind of harnessing and, and it's a mindset of abundance. You, you're, you're harnessing the things around you that you already have and that you're already achieving and you're growing those stronger rather than this hedonic treadmill of going, okay, I really want to get that gold medal because it's going to change my life. Yes, that could be on the table, but don't we need to zoom it in and maybe be more grateful for the things we're doing and the things we've got along the way? So where does gratitude fit in for you? Gratitude is the unfortunate and sad lesson we all have to learn. Um, and I'd say, I'd, I'd go as close to saying gratitude probably saved my life because I was at a point in my sport where I was probably at the lowest I ever was. Um, I wasn't performing in school. You know, we were getting to the stage where you need to choose where you want to go for university. And I didn't even have any results. To, like, I, I was not doing well. I did not hand in any coursework because I was so busy training and then training exhausted me. So I didn't have any brain power to do anything in school. So now, okay, it's like, okay, education's terrible. My, my African parents who only want me to perform in education because that's almost like their state status symbol. My son has graduated university. I was failing at that. So now I'm thinking, crap, okay, that's, that's not working. I need to, you know, do sport now. And then, and this is after my big win, you know, when you think, yes, that that's proof in the pudding that there's something in this. I just need to win a few more races and I'll get the big sponsorship and I'll buy my mama house. And then they don't talk about education anymore. <laughs> And you almost create this facade and this storyline that, yes, I just need to do this one thing back to that competition. Like, I just need to win. I just need to win. I don't care about anything else. Totally. 
and then that made me push too much in sport and I got a very horrific injury you know hamstring tendinopathy so at the back of my knee a very delicate um, tendon you know I don't know if it stretched or it tore but it meant I couldn't stretch it because it would make it worse and I couldn't work it in the gym because it would make it worse so I can't rest and I can't do anything so now I'm in this middle place where I can't do it like what I just sit you know what I mean? Like I can't massage it. I can't stretch it. I can't weight lift it. I can't shove my thumb in there and manipulate. I can't do anything. You just have to let it leave it. Wow. And I can't run. I can't compete. So now I have nothing. My plate is empty and my options are dry. You know, back, back, back to why I initially got into business to give yourself multiple outlets out of sport. Um, and I got to this place where I was feeling really, really low. And I was like, my mental health is actually on the brink. I have no sport. I have no education. I have no other career paths. I have nothing. And I came to a place where I was like, I'm staring at that wall and I'm staring into that darkness. And it was like, I have nothing. And then from the place of feeling like I have nothing, I had to go, okay, this, if I keep doing this, like, I'm sure not going to make it. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure not going to get anywhere of this mindset because I've given up on life. And I said to myself, you know, if, if this is it, it can't be it because I'm still alive and breathing. Mm-hmm. This can't be the end. Like I'm, I've still got hands and feet. And then I started to almost naturally look at what I do have from the point of not having anything, feeling broken, feeling down, not having anything to go by, no ladder. I've looked around, there's no ladder. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's no, nothing I can show anyone to say, no, it's fine, but I've got nothing. Mm-hmm. So there's no ladder. It's just me. It's almost like I've fallen down a well and there's no way of getting back up the ladder. Wow. No excuse. I can't give myself any excuse. I can't give myself any storyline. And the only thing I could give myself is looking at myself and saying, what do I have? I've got hands, I've got feet, I've got mouth, I've got nose, I've got a body. Mm-hmm. And then from that place, I almost naturally started to be grateful for what I do have internally, not just what I've achieved externally. And it's almost like it became like a rope that allowed me to climb out. Looking at the positives, you know, I've got a loving family, I've got a loving girlfriend, I've got I I live in the Western world. I have water. I have electricity. I have a roof over my head. I have an ability to go back into education. You know, there are, there are hundred meter sprinters that are still going at the age of 35. I'm only 19, you know, and then looking at all the positives and thinking, damn, that was a hard fall. That was a really hard fall. And that really bruised my ego and it really hurt. And the only thing that was able to get me out of that was looking at what I do have. And that's that's how I learned the hard truth of gratitude. And mm-hmm. I think that's how that's that's the only way you can learn the hard truth of gratitude. Mm-hmm. Being smacked onto the ground and feeling the hurt and the pain of life. And then from there you either quit or you look at what you do have and you climb out slowly. So now I have to exercise gratitude. I have to exercise gratitude for the fact that my lights are on, for the fact that I had breakfast this morning, for the fact that I'm wearing clothes, for the fact that I'm here talking to you through Wi-Fi, which I'm able to pay for. Like so many little things that I do have, you know, and that, that, that I guess, I don't know how else I can, can express that. Yeah. Well, no, you've expressed it beautifully well. It, again, it really well painted the picture there. And um, 
Uh, do you do you purposely cultivate gratitude on a daily basis? I, I I've got my gratitude journal. I think it's one of my most powerful habits. I try to do and I write it and I you almost sit and kind of visualize it for for a couple of seconds. Um, or is it more of a natural thing? Does this just come up in your day? How, how do you how do you grow your gratitude? Yeah, I think when I when I tried to exercise gratitude before my hard fall, I call it. Um, it was almost a process to run away from. It was almost like, I'm doing gratitude so I don't have mental health. I'm doing gratitude so the negative thoughts don't come in. Okay, what am I grateful for? It's almost like a list of excuses why my life is going well. Okay. Um, And then after the hard fall, gratitude became my reason to accept. You know, I'm accepting life because I'm breathing. I'm accepting life because I have this. I'm accepting life because... I have a job. I'm accepting. It was almost like it's almost become my bot, my 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 ground. You know, mm-hmm. if I ever fall over, my cushion is gratitude now, and I build from gratitude. So it's almost like I don't need to do my daily gratitude anymore to be an excuse why I shouldn't fall. It's become my bounce back effect now. Mm, I see. Yeah, love it. Love that, that that way of thinking about things. Um, listen, Solomon, you've been ridiculously kind with your time today. There's one or two more little questions I can pick your brain on, if that's okay. Have you got like five more minutes? Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you. Um, right. So we've talked obviously a lot about mindset today, and um, it's a pretty obvious question this, but how important do you think the mind and getting the mindset right should be when it comes to living your best self. Um, you know, there, there's obviously a big school of thought like, yes, let's get our body working and physically. And there's obviously a huge debate on that. Personally, I'm a little bit more, let's get the mind right and the body follows, you know, getting your best self by accessing the right mindset. Thoughts on that? Cultivating positivity every single day, you know, noticing the positive things in your life, cultivating gratitude, eating healthy. So your gut bacteria is you know positive. So you're not inflamed and now your brain is kicking off um getting rid of bad habits and introducing better habits there are thousands of books on having better habits thousands of books on what you can do as better habits breathing exercises meditations drinking clean you know eating healthy uh having a positive social uh, circle feeding your mind with positive things on youtube and instagram there are thousands of habits but actually doing the habits you know what i mean mm-hmm. um, not just saying them, actually you, actually implementing them and executing on them yep absolutely absolutely having a direction for the future and you know actions for the current now mm-hmm. um, and also healing your past i think we all have a lot of you know things in our past almost like i don't know if you ever used to play the game temple run when it first mm-hmm. came out our past is almost like that that gorilla in our back that 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 always somehow manages to catch us, and it's like back to that back to that idea of turning away from the wall and looking behind you and looking at your past and saying, "Okay, where did things go wrong? How can I make peace with it to then allow me to be present in the moment because I think as long as you've got that temple run gorilla on your back, you're always running away from it, but actually when you stop and turn around and make peace with it, now you're not running to your goals, you're gently striding with peace and compassion Mm. lovely really really well said again as well and again this might be pretty hard to pick you've almost said maybe most of what i was going to ask kind of to 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 kind of close but almost like a like a final message or 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 message you want to leave the listeners take away whether it's more of a like a mental health angle or looking after yourself or the forward-facing striving person what 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 do you think would be would be a, a really nice way to try bring this to a close Love yourself, don't judge yourself. 
There we go. Need, need to say no more on that. Absolutely spot on. Um, listen, Solomon, I don't know about you, man, but this has been an absolute treat. You've been incredible today. I'm so glad we hit the record button and got this huge inspiration. Um, I was taking notes as we went on writing a few little things that I'm going to talk about and uh, like with some of my clients later today. So thank you. Thank you so much. And maybe just um, to, to finally close, where can people find you and follow you if they're interested in your story and, the, and your journey and all of your future success that's going to come up? Where, where can people um, have, a, have a look for you? Yes, absolutely. Um, they can find me on Instagram and Twitter. It's at King Sol GB. So K-I-N-G-S-O-U-L-G-B. That's Instagram and Twitter. Um, I have a YouTuber channel from 10 years ago. So my childish content, which <laughs> I'm trying to always imagine how can I re-envision that's just, you know, Solomon Barr. And you can email me if you have any other questions, you know, solimanbart gmail.com. So that's S-O-U-L-E-Y-M-A-N-B-A-H at gmail.com. But apart from that, you know, I don't really you know, promote myself too much on the internet. I probably should. Um, but yeah, if you have any questions, you know, feel free to drop me an email. But I also want to say thank you for giving you know me the opportunity to be here and share my story, my wisdom and my journey. And I think it's what the world needs at the minute. The world is going through, a, I guess, a transition, um, you know, for, for everybody to become more aware, to become a better version of themselves. And it's inevitable for each and every one of us. And if, you know, if there are more signposts like, like as yourself to point people in the right direction towards being their better self, then the, the only thing we can do is give gratitude to that and say thank you. So thank you for creating a platform that allows people that, you know, have walked the journey and suffered and found, you know, ways to alleviate the pain of life to be able to say it to other people, you know, and thank you. Thank you very much for doing that. Awesome. Well, no, thank you so much. The pleasure's been mine. And what's uh, what's what's that that statement? The rising tide lifts all ships. So hopefully we can be part of that rising tide and, and all the ships can live with us. So um, Suleiman, thank you very much. Everyone listening, thank you so much for your time today. Um, and listen, let's keep in touch, man. I think we can continue this conversation in the future. Thank you. Thank you very much.